Amen. All right, well, we're there in Ephesians chapter number one. And of course, on Wednesday nights is our Bible study night. And what we do is we just pick a book of the Bible and we just go verse by verse, chapter by chapter through that book. And I try to outline it for you, but we just really walk through the text uh, verse by verse. And it's a great time for you to, if you don't do it all of the time, Wednesday night is definitely the time to take notes and to uh, either have a notebook with you or on the back of the course of the, be- of the week or on the margin of your Bible uh, to write notes as we study the Bible together. And of course, last week we began in Ephesians 1 and we made it through the first 11 uh, verses of uh, the chapter. And if you remember last week, we learned about the position of the Father uh, and we learned that God is our Father and our God. And we learned that he is the Father and God of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then we also learned about the performance of Jesus Christ. And we learned about our predestination in Christ. And we learned about our position in Christ. And I'm not going to go back and re-preach that, of course, but that's what we learned in the first part of the chapter. And tonight what we're going to do is we're just going to walk through uh, the second part of the chapter. We're going to uh, finish the last 12 verses of Ephesians, and we're going to study it together. And this last uh, part of this chapter can really be divided into two sections. And if you are taking notes or you want to jot this down, uh, the first part of the second part of the chapter deals with the ministry of the Holy Spirit, and the end of the chapter deals with the majesty of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we're going to look at those two things there, the ministry of the Holy Spirit and the majesty of the Lord Jesus Christ. So let's go ahead and jump in there in verse 12. Notice what the Bible says. It says that we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ. And we're going to come back to that verse in a second. In whom ye also trusted after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed. And I want you to notice what it says here. It says ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. So we're looking at the ministry of the Holy Spirit, and there's two things that we notice in this passage in regard to the ministry of the Holy Spirit. The first is this, that the Holy Spirit seals, and when we are saved, we are sealed with the Holy Spirit. That's what we read in verse 13. It says, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of God. You're there in Ephesians 1, of course, that's our text for tonight, but just flip with me real quickly to Ephesians chapter 4, and look at verse 30, because this is brought up later in the book. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 30. The Bible says this, And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 30, And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, notice, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. So I want you to notice that the Bible tells us that one of the things that the Holy Spirit does, the ministry of the Holy Spirit or the work of the Holy Spirit, is to seal us. We are sealed by the Holy Spirit of God. Now, that terminology of being sealed or uh, the idea of being sealed is Symbolic, And I'd like you to go, go to Jude, if you would, towards the end of the New Testament. You have the book of Revelation right at the end. Right before the book of Revelation, you have the book of Jude. Jude, and we're going to look at a verse there. But while you turn there, let me explain this. There's some symbolism when it comes to the seal. And it basically comes down to two things. A seal is a symbol of authority or ownership. And what would come to mind is like the seal of a king upon a document. And that's an idea of authority, ownership, where a king back in these days might send a message out and they might close up that message and they would uh, put a seal upon that. Um, and that seal could not be broken unless you had the authority to receive that message. So that seal shows 
uh, is symbolic for authority or ownership. There's also an idea of preservation in regards to the seal in the same way that you, you might seal a jar to preserve something in it. And this is what the Holy Spirit does for us. He identifies us as the children of God, and He also preserves us until the day of redemption. Because salvation, when salvation happened, the Bible refers to salvation as a financial transaction, or it uses the illustration of a financial transaction, that there was a debt that needed to be paid. You owed a debt, you could not pay, and Jesus paid a debt he did not owe. That's how it worked. We owed for our sin, he owed nothing, but he redeemed us, he purchased us, he paid for our sins, but the transaction is not complete. At the moment of salvation, at the moment that you and I believed, we were quickened in our spirit. Our spirit was made alive. Our spirit was created. We were regenerated. Whatever terminology you want to use, the Bible says that in Christ we were made a new creature, and spiritually we are as saved as we will ever be. The spiritual man or the new man does not sin. However, you still are in your old flesh. You're in that old body, and that part of salvation has not yet happened. One day the rapture will happen, and the Bible tells us that this corruptible will put on incorruption, and this mortal will put on immortality, but that has not yet happened. So the Bible tells us that God gave us the Holy Spirit to seal us until the day of redemption. Are you there in Jude? Uh, Look at verse number one. Notice what Jude said. He said this, uh, Jude the servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to them that are sanctified by God the Father, notice, and preserved in Jesus Christ and called. Now the Calvinists, they like to teach this doctrine called the perseverance of the saints. And what they teach is that if you're truly saved, you're going to persevere until the end, and you're not going to quit on God, and you're not going to mess up. And I will tell you today, and I'll tell you tonight, that that doctrine does not exist in the Bible. There is no such thing as the perseverance of the saints. In fact, we see many saints in the Bible who quit, who mess up, who quit on God. But you know what the Bible does teach? It doesn't teach the perseverance of the saints, but it does teach the preservation of the saints, that we are preserved in Jesus Christ. So there in Jude, look at verse 24. Notice what he says. He says, now unto him, now unto him, not you, Now unto him, notice, that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. You and I are preserved, the Bible says, in Jesus Christ. And it is God who is able to keep us, it is Jesus who is able to keep us from falling and to present you faultless before his presence. Go back to Ephesians chapter 1. So we see, when we're talking about the ministry of the Holy Spirit, what is it the Holy Spirit does? And you might ask, what does the Holy Spirit does? Well, the answer to the question is this. The Holy Spirit seals. He seals you. He puts his, it's the stamp of God upon your life, meaning you are now under his authority, you are under his ownership, and he preserves you until the day of Jesus Christ. See, it is because of the, uh, 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 the Holy Spirit sealing in our lives that we have the doctrine of eternal security. The reason that we cannot lose our salvation is because of the sealing of the Holy Spirit. Now, you may ask, well, what what does the sealing of the Holy Spirit have to do with eternal security? Are you there in Ephesians 1? Look at verse 14. Notice what he says. 
in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 14, because in verse 13 he says, In whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed, he says, ye were sealed with the Holy Spirit. Notice, the Holy Spirit of promise. At salvation, you were made a promise. You, were, uh, you partook in the promise of salvation, and it's sealed through the Holy Spirit. Notice, then he says this, which is the earnest of our inheritance. Until the redemption, notice the terminology, until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of His glory. And the terminology that's being used here, the illustration that's being used, it's really a financial uh, type of terminology. He says that the Holy Spirit sealed us, and then he says that sealing is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession. He said, God has already purchased you, but, but there's a coming time when he's going to redeem you. At the rapture, he's going to take you and, and completely finish the deal of salvation, not just your spirit, but your body as well. And he says that he gave us the Holy Spirit as the earnest. Now, of course, keep your place there in Ephesians. Go to the book of 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter number 1. And if you go backwards from Galatians, you have the book of, uh, uh, if he, uh, I'm sorry, from, if you go backwards from Ephesians, you have the book of Galatians, and then you have the book of uh, 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians. And do me a favor, when you get to 2 Corinthians, put a ribbon or a bookmark or something there, because we're going to leave it and we're going to come back to it. So I'd like you to be able to get to it uh, quickly, if you would. Second Corinthians chapter 1. I want you to notice that this idea of being sealed by the Holy Spirit and the earnest of the Holy Spirit is found throughout the Bible. I'll give you one example. Second Corinthians 1, verse 21. Notice what the Bible says. Now, He which establisheth us with you in Christ. And I want you to notice again, and I'm not going to re-preach last week's sermon, but notice if, if you pay attention, you'll find in the Bible that it is emphasized over and over and over and over again that the only access that you and I have to God and to heaven is in Christ. It's always about Christ. Now, He which establisheth us with you you say, oh, I got established because I'm so great, because I'm so good, because I repented of my sin. No, no, no. You were established in Christ and hath anointed us is God, notice verse 22, who hath also sealed us and given the earnest of the Spirit in our hearts. Now, what does that mean, the earnest of the Spirit, or the fact that He's the earnest of our inheritance? And the idea is this, and you go back to Ephesians, we're going to come right back to uh, 2 Corinthians, or actually 1 Corinthians, so keep your place there, but go back to Ephesians. The idea of the Holy Spirit being the earnest, and I've explained this before, and, and it's always good to be refreshed on some of these things. The idea is that it's, it's, it's like what you and I today would call earnest money. And if someone was going to make a major purchase, usually this is a practice that is done for a big purchase, like if you're going to purchase a home. Uh, what would happen is that there would be earnest money that would be put down, a deposit made to a seller, but it's not the deposit for the loan. It's like a good faith amount that's given showing the buyer's intent to purchase. So here's what happens. You go out and uh, you put a uh, bid on a house. And let's say, you know, in different markets, you may not need this, but let's say you're in a market where, where that, that seller, he's getting a lot of bids. All sorts of people are interested in that house. And you come in and you say, hey, here's, I'm putting this bid uh, for this house, and he wants to give you that house, but he wants to make sure that you're not going to back out of the deal. 
So they might ask for earnest money. They might ask you to put on $1,000 uh, just to show, hey, I'm serious about buying this house. I'm not just throwing some fake you know, uh, 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 deal out there. I'm going to come back. I'm going to get the lending. I'm going to get the money. I'm going to secure the finances, and I'm going to buy this house. And here's what happens. You put that money down as, uh, as a way of showing I'm serious about purchasing this house. You say, well, what, what, what shows your seriousness with earnest money? Here's what shows that you're serious is that when you as a buyer put down earnest money and then you decide to back out of the deal, you lose that money. The, 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 the person gets to just keep it just because you decided to back out. So when you put $1,000 down and you say, hey, if I back out, you can keep the 1000 they know that guy's serious about uh, coming back and redeeming this house or redeeming this purchase or making this purchase good. And this is what Jesus, what God says about our salvation, that he gave us the Holy Spirit as the earnest of our inheritance. And what he's basically saying is this. And you say, well, what does this have to do with eternal security? Here's what it means. If I lose my salvation, if I... I were to die and go to hell, then the Holy Spirit would have to come with me. Because God, God said, I am so sure of your salvation. I am so sure that I will come back and make the purchase of this redemption good. I'm willing to put my Holy Spirit on the line. I'm willing to put the Holy Spirit as the earnest of your inheritance. And you know what? If I back out, if I back off, if I decide, ah, oh, it's too much, I'm not interested, decided maybe to, to, to purchase at a different time, God says, I'd have to lose my Holy Spirit to do it. So what we learn about the ministry of the Holy Spirit is that the, the Holy Spirit seals. And what that means is that He secures you, He preserves you, He is the doctrine of eternal security because we are sealed with the Holy Spirit of God until the day of redemption. But I want you to notice a second thing the Holy Spirit does. If you can go back to Ephesians 1, we're talking about the ministry of the Holy Spirit. What is it that the Holy Spirit does? Well, I said, first of all, the Holy Spirit seals. But I want you to notice, secondly, that the Holy Spirit reveals. He not only seals, that's part of his ministry, he seals us until the day of redemption, but he also reveals the truth of the Word of God. Are you there in Ephesians 1, look at verse 15. Notice what he says. Wherefore I also, after I heard your faith in the Lord Jesus, and love unto all the saints, this is of course Paul speaking to the church at Ephesus, cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, notice what he says, that God, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you, so notice he says, you, you, you got the Holy Spirit of God, and I'm glad that you got the Holy Spirit of God, but he says, I, I'm praying that the Holy Spirit does this for you, because this is something that the Holy Spirit can do for you, that he would give unto you the Spirit, notice what he says, of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. He says, the Holy Spirit not only seals you, now if that's all the Holy Spirit did, that's enough. That's good enough. That's great. But he says the Holy Spirit doesn't just seal you. He's not just the guarantee of your salvation. He's not just the earnest of your salvation. He says the Holy Spirit seals. But let me tell you something. The Holy Spirit also reveals. He is the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. And you say, well, Paul, what do you mean? Look at verse 18. That the eyes of your understanding 
being enlightened, notice that ye may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. And what is it that Paul is teaching us here? And it's a common teaching that he's taught in different places. Go back to 1 Corinthians, if you would. I asked you to keep your place in 2 Corinthians. Right before 2 Corinthians is 1 Corinthians. And it is this, that the natural man... And what we mean by that is the unregenerated man or the unsaved man, the person, the, the, the individual that does not have uh, a spirit that's quickened or alive, the individual that does not have the Holy Spirit living inside of them, the natural man, the Bible teaches, cannot understand the Bible. Unsaved people cannot understand the Bible. This is taught throughout the Bible. I'll show it to you out of 1 Corinthians, which is one of the most clear passages in Scripture about it. But we're seeing it in Ephesians 1.17 where Paul is saying, Hey, look, it is the spirit of wisdom and revelation that will make your eyes, uh, uh, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened that ye may know. He said, it is the Holy Spirit of God that seals you, but it is the Holy Spirit of God that reveals for you the truth of God's Word. Are you there in 1 Corinthians 2? Look at verse 7. Notice what he says. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 7. But we speak, notice what Paul says. He says, we speak the wisdom of God, notice these words, in a mystery. Now you'll find that the Bible often refers to salvation as a mystery. And you say, well, why is that? Here's why it is, because to unsaved people, salvation is a mystery. To the natural man, the gospel, the doctrine of salvation, it's a mystery. They don't understand it. And if you don't believe me, come out soul winning with us and talk to some unsaved people. Come out soul winning with us and talk to religious people that are not saved, and you'll understand why Paul says it's a mystery to them. I mean, we, we, look, at, we look at John 3.16 and we're like, really? I mean, come on, you don't understand that? It's so simple. It's so easy to understand. But not, not when you're spiritually discerned. It's a mystery. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery. Notice, even the hidden wisdom. It's hidden. Which God ordained before the world unto our glory. Remember, Paul said, if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. Notice verse 8. Which none. He said, nobody of the princes of this world knew. Is that nobody saw this coming, nobody understood this, nobody thought about this. Notice, for had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Do you understand what he's saying? He said, if they would have understood uh, the, the gospel message, if they would have understood that they were crucifying the Son of God, if they would have understood the message of salvation, they wouldn't have done it. But it's a mystery to them. It was hidden to them. Notice verse 9. But as it is written, I have not seen, nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. Now usually, people take 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 9, and I don't, I'm not mad at people who do this, I don't have a problem with people doing this, but usually, and I can understand how you might interpret it this way, usually people take 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 9, and they refer to heaven. And they'll, they'll, they'll use that to talk about heaven. And I don't have a problem with people doing that. And they'll say, see, the Bible says, I have not seen, nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for them that love him. And if you look at that verse just on its own, uh, and pull it out of context, you can see how someone might think it's talking about heaven. But if you put it in its context, what he's talking about is the word of God. 
What he's talking about is, yes, not just heaven physically, but the way into heaven or the way, uh, uh, the plan of salvation to get you into heaven. And here's what he's saying. When it comes to human beings, when it comes to unnatural, uh, excuse me, to natural man uh, that's not saved, that's not regenerated, he says, I have not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for them that love him. He says, they can't get it. They don't understand it. Those were sent. But God hath revealed them unto us. How? By his Spirit. For the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. For what man knoweth the things of a man, save the Spirit of man which is in him? Even so, the things of God knoweth no man but the Spirit of God. And I've, I've, I've taught you that before, and I, we've looked at that before, but the idea is this. The idea is this, that the only way, he says, look, he, he, says, uh, no, he says, for what man knoweth the things of a man, save the Spirit of man which is in him? And here's what he's saying. The, the reason that you and I can, and I don't, and don't ask me to explain to you that I just, this is what the Bible teaches and we just believe it. But the reason that you and I can understand each other is because we have the same spirit of a human being. I'm a man, you're a man, you're a woman, you're a person, so we can understand each other. I know some of you don't agree with this, but I don't care how much you think you can understand your dog, you can't. All right? It's a different spirit, it's a different thing. All right? But I, I bet these dogs can understand each other. I bet these dolphins, right? They're supposed to be the second smartest being on earth, right? I'd like to see the hospital they ever built, but you know, these dolphins are all and whatever. I don't know if I don't know if that's the noise a dolphin makes. That was a chihuahua. But you know, these dolphins, they can communicate with each other, right? You can't communicate with a dolphin. You're not there's no such thing as the horse whisperer or the dog whisperer or the cat whisperer. I don't know why you'd want to communicate with a cat. But you know, there are all, all these things. Here's what he's saying. We can communicate because we have the same nature. We have the same spirit, that, that of a human. Notice what he says. Uh, 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 for what man, verse 11, knoweth the things of a man, save the spirit of man which is in him? He says, even so, in the same way, he says, the things of God knoweth no man but the Spirit of God. He says, look, no man can understand the things of God, and the only reason you can understand the things of God, and I can understand the things of God, is because we've got the Holy Spirit of God inside of us. Notice verse 12. Now we have received, not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit which is of God, that we might, notice the emphasis, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. Which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. Isn't that what we're doing right now? Comparing spiritual things with spiritual? Ephesians with 1 Corinthians. Notice verse 14. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. And look, people don't like me preaching this. People don't like me saying this. This is not a a doctrine that people like to embrace today. But I'm here to tell you something. You can pass out as many Johns and Romans, as many unsaved people as you want. If they're not saved, they can't get it. They won't understand it. They're spiritually discerned. The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. That's why they need a soul winner to preach the gospel to them, to explain it to them, because the unsaved, the unregenerate man cannot understand the things of God. Go to Acts chapter number 8. Acts chapter number 8. And look, if, if you need evidence, just look at, look at religions that, are, uh, that preach a false gospel. 
I, I mean, I bring this up often, but I think it's worth bringing up. Look at these false religions that are wrong on salvation, and it's laughable how wrong they are about everything else. I mean, you got the Roman Catholic Church that teaches a hardline work salvation. You got to keep the seven sacraments in order to be saved. It's based on your works. No matter what else they say, it's based on your works. They're not saved. And then they go to they go to a passage where the disciples are asking Jesus, teach us to pray, and he says, Okay, let me explain something to you. I'm gonna teach you to pray, but I don't want you to pray like the heathen pray. I don't want you to pray these vain and repetitious prayers like the heathen pray. Let me give you an example of how you should pray so you don't pray vain and repetitious prayers like the heathen. He gives them the example, our Father which are in heaven. And then the Catholics come along and say, Well, let's just take that and and, and repeat that over and over. And it's like, what? He just told you the verse before not to do that. So how do you explain that? The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. I mean, that's the only way you can, under- you can explain that, that unsaved people can't understand the Bible. So Jesus says, I'm going to give you this verse. I want to give you this pattern. I'm going to give you an example. I don't want you to pray it over and over. And the Roman Catholic's like, I have an idea. Let's pray that over and over. And it's like, you're not saved. That's why you don't get it. I mean... The, t- the Bible teaches that 144,000 come down from heaven. The rest of us go up to heaven. Here come the Jehovah's Witnesses. They're like, oh no, all of us stay on earth and the 144,000 go to It's like, good night. Are you got it the exact opposite. I mean, is this a joke? Are you playing a joke on me right now? But it's, it's not, not playing a joke. It's just the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. The unsaved man cannot understand the Bible. They read it, they try to understand it, and they get the exact opposite. And by the way, they get the exact opposite, which is why the Bible teaches salvation is by grace, through faith, not of works. It's a free gift, and every religion says, no, it's works. Have you ever thought about that? The Bible says it's free, and every religion under the sun says that's a false religion that's not based on the Bible says, no, it's works. Even the so-called Christian religions add works. Well, you got to repent of your sins. Well, you got to live a good life. Well, you got to get baptized. You got to speak in tongues. You say, how do you get to that? Here's how you get to that. The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. If you give an unsaved person the Bible, you know what they're going to come up with? A false religion. They're going to warp the Bible because they don't understand it. Acts chapter 8. Are you there? Look verse 30. And Philip ran hither to him and heard him read the prophet Isaiah and said, Notice, here you, got, here you have an unsaved man who's reading the Bible. He's seeking for the truth. He wants to understand this. And here comes Philip, and he says, Understandest thou what thou readest? Notice what he says. A true statement. Verse 31. And he said, How can I? How can I? Except some man should guide me. The word except means unless some man should guide me. And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him, Then you've got the verses where it tells you what he's reading out of Isaiah, Isaiah 53, a prophecy of the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at verse 35. Notice how the Ethiopian eunuch gets saved. Because he's riding down the road reading the Bible and he can't get saved. How does he get saved? Verse 35. The same way anyone who is saved has ever gotten saved, then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. This is why Paul said that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known, don't miss it, the mystery of Christ. Why? Because it's a mystery to the unsaved. Look, the only way that anybody ever got saved is because somebody who had the Holy Spirit of God preached the gospel to them. Because they could not understand it on their own. 
I don't care how many tracts you read. I don't care how much of the Bible you read. You cannot understand. You say, how can you preach that with such authority? Uh, Because that's what the Bible says. Because the Bible says that the natural man receives. People say, people argue with me. They're like, well, I know somebody who got saved reading the Bible. Oh, okay. Well, then just forget everything the Bible says because your experience trumps the Bible. Yeah, right. You know what? The Bible says unsaved people can't understand the, the, the Bible and they need a soul winner to preach it to them, period. That's what the Bible says. And if you don't understand that, maybe you're not saved. <laughs> I don't understand why you have so much trouble grasping something that's so simple and so clearly taught in Scripture. Go to 1 John chapter 2. It's clear in the Bible. You need the Holy Spirit because what does the Holy Spirit do? He seals and he reveals. He seals you until the day of redemption. And then it reveals the word of God to you. 1 John chapter 2, look at verse 27. 1 John 2, 27. If you start at the end there, you got Revelation, Jude. We were just in Jude not too long ago. You got 3 John, 2 John, 1 John. 1 John chapter 2, verse 27. Notice what the Bible says. But the anointing which ye have received of him abideth in you. And ye need not that any man teach you. But the, look, did you see, catch that? The anointing, this is talking about the Holy Spirit. Throughout the Bible, the Holy Spirit is equated to oil, to anointing. The anointing which ye have received of him abideth in you. Ye need not that any man teach you. So you don't need that any man teach you, but the same anointing teacheth you of all things, and is truth, and is no lie, and even as it hath taught you, ye shall abide in him. And look, I'll be honest with you, and I just made a joke, but this is the honest truth. When people can't understand just basic biblical concepts, to me that's a red flag, they're not saved. Because the the Holy Spirit, look, if you have the Holy Spirit of God, you should be able to have somebody open up the Bible and say, hey, look, here's what the Bible says. No, I don't see that. I don't get it. I'm not talking about deep... I'm not talking about Daniel's 70th week. Obviously, there are complicated things in the Word of God. But we're talking about just basic, look, here's what the Bible says. And they're just like, I don't get it. It's like, maybe it's because you're not saved. Because the Holy Spirit of God is the one that teacheth you. Notice, and he says, and ye need not that any man teach you. Now, let me go ahead and answer it because people like to ask stupid questions. Well, then what do we need you for, Pastor? You know, the Bible also says that God gave you teachers and pastors and evangelists for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Obviously, what we do here on Sunday morning and Sunday night and Wednesday night is we help you go further faster. Do you understand that? You know, I've, I've read the Bible scores of times, and I've studied the Bible, and I've been studying the Bible, you know, every week for the, you know, as a job for the last 10 years or whatever, nine years. So what we do here is we just help you go further faster. It's like when you say, oh, well, you know, I, I could learn it on my own. Well, yeah, you, you could cook at home too, but you go to restaurants from time to time and have somebody else serve you a meal. And sometimes that meal is better than what you can come up with. <laughs> and, and, here's the, and, and you come to Verity Baptist Church and I've got a meal prepared for you. I'm trying to help you. I'm trying to fill you. I'm trying to give you. But here's the point and here's what it is teaching. There's nothing, there's nothing in this Bible that, that you couldn't learn without me or without some other pastor. Do you understand that? If you have the Holy Spirit, you could study the Bible and learn everything, learn everything that you can learn. Just recently, I had a, a pastor friend call me, and they were getting ready to preach a sermon, and they were kind of going to teach a concept that they'd never uh, uh, taught before. And they were, ask, they were asking me, like, hey, what do you think about this passage? And they, they 
quoted the passage to me, but they didn't give me any details. You know, you always feel like you're getting set up kind of, you know, like, what do you think about that? And I'm like, well, here's what I think, you know, and I'm like, I think it's X, Y, and Z. And he's like, exactly. Okay, good. I'm glad you saw the same thing, right? And he's like, you know, just trying to get confirmation. Other people have seen this the same way. Here's the thing. That's a good way to check yourself sometimes because if he has the Holy Spirit and I have the Holy Spirit, we're looking at a passage, we should come to the same conclusion. Do you understand that? Now, obviously, there's interpretations that are different. There's things that are a little more complex. And I want you to understand this. The teaching of the Holy Spirit revealing truth to you, this does not mean that you will understand everything in the Bible. That's not what it means. Because sometimes you preach that and people are like, well, I don't understand Ezekiel, so am I not saved? Look, nobody understands Ezekiel, okay? I preach through Ezekiel and I don't understand it, all right? The Bible says the secret things belong unto the Lord our God. Paul said that we look through a, a, dark, uh, a glass darkly. He says, he says, we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. He says, now I know in part, but then shall I know even as also I have known. Paul said, I'm writing this stuff down and I don't really understand all of it. So please understand this. The revealing of the Holy Spirit, the ministry of the Holy Spirit, really, that does not mean that you're going to know everything. I got saved you just know everything in the Bible. Here's what it means, though. You can know everything in the Bible. If you put in the work, if you study, if you read and read and study and study, eventually you could learn just as much as anybody else. Ye need not that any man teach you, but the same anointing teacheth you all things. And that's the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. What is it? That the Holy Spirit seals and the Holy Spirit reveals. Go back to Ephesians. Ephesians chapter number 1. So we saw the ministry of the Holy Spirit. But I'd like you to notice, secondly tonight, not only do we see in this passage the ministry of the Holy Spirit, we also see the majesty of the Lord Jesus Christ. The word majesty, I like that word because the word majesty has several definitions. One is that of, of, of being royal, of being regal or regency, meaning the authority or the king. But it also has to do with power, and that's what we see in this passage. We see the ministry of the Holy Spirit. We see the majesty of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me give you three quick points in regards to the majesty of Christ. First of all, we see the pardon of Christ. Notice Ephesians 1 and verse 12. That we should be to the praise of His glory. I want you to notice these words. Who first trusted. Do you see that word trusted there? If you don't mind writing in your Bible or underlining your Bible, I would underline that word trusted or circle that word trusted. He said, who first trusted in Christ. And here's what I love about Ephesians 1, is that it's, it's, a, it's a very clear place where the Bible defines, because look, the Bible is its own dictionary, and the Bible defines itself, and here we're going to get a, a definition of what it means to believe or what it means to have faith, all right? Notice what he says, verse 12, that we should be to the praise of his glory, who first trusted in Christ. Notice verse 13. In whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth. Notice, how did this person get saved? They heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Somebody explained it to them. Do you understand that? Because the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. Somebody had to open their mouth and explain it. Jesus said, Verily, verily, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life. So he says, In whom ye also trusted. In verse 12 he said, Who first trusted in Christ. Then he says, In whom ye also trusted. After that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. In whom also after that ye, notice this word, believe. Ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. 
which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession and to the praise of his glory. Wherefore, I also, after I heard of your what? Faith in the Lord Jesus and love unto all the saints. I want you to notice the context of what he's talking about. Look at verse 19. Skip down to verse 19. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us? Where Notice, who believe according to the working of his mighty power. I want you to notice he's using these terms interchangeably. He says, you first trusted in Christ. He says, in whom ye also trusted. Then he says, in whom also after that ye believed. Then he says, I heard of your faith. Then he says, who believe. And here's what he's saying. What does it mean to believe, or what does it mean to have faith? When we tell people that salvation is simply putting your faith in Jesus Christ, right? When we tell people, uh, like Paul did, like Paul told the Philippian jailer, when he was asked the question, what must I do to be saved? And he gave the response, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. What does that mean? Here's what it means. The Bible is defining it for us. Believing, or faith, means to trust. That's what the word means. It means to trust. Now, here's the thing. It doesn't mean to just believe like I believe that Jesus existed. When to, to, to believe in regards to salvation, you must put your trust, your faith must be in Jesus Christ, meaning you're relying on Jesus to save you. Go to James chapter 2. Uh, James chapter 2, if you would. I don't know if you kept your place in 1 John. I meant to tell you to keep your place there, and I, I don't know if I did. But if, if you remember where 1 John is, or Jude, 1 John, um, if you go backwards, you got... Excuse me, not backwards. If you're in First John, you got Second uh, John, uh, and then uh, oh, good night. Just go to James, all right? <laughs> James chapter two. I'm confusing myself. If you're going backwards, you're going to go past Third, Second, First John, Second, First Peter, uh, into the book of James. James chapter two. Look at verse nineteen. James, may I should have just read it to you? James two nineteen. James two nineteen says this: Thou believest. Sometimes it's hard to do it backwards, you know what I mean? James 2.19, Thou believest that there is one God. Notice, thou, dwellest, uh, thou doest well. I just wanted to show you this. The devils also believe and tremble. Okay, so notice here we have a verse where the Bible tells us the devils believe. Does that mean they're saved? Okay, because they believe like they realize that God exists, Jesus exists. They believe, right? Jesus would often come before a devil and they would say, they would, they would honor him, they would worship him, they would say, comest thou to torment us before the time appointed? You know, they, would, they, they believed in him, but the Bible's clear they're going to spend eternity in hell. Why? Because they're not trusting in him. Okay? So when we're telling people that they have to believe on Jesus Christ, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved, what we're telling them is you've got to put your trust in Jesus Christ. Do you understand the difference? See, it's one thing, and I've, I've heard people use the illustration. It's like if you took a chair and placed it here and said, do you believe in this chair? It's like, well, yeah, I believe it's right there. I mean, it exists. I'm looking at it. You know, I believe it exists. Okay, but if you're, you're, you're gonna, do you trust it, though? Well, I don't know. This chair was built by a brother so-and-so. I'm not sure if I trust that. <laughs> right? You know, how do I prove that I trust it? I, I sit in it. I put my weight on it. I rely upon it, Right? You, you look at a plane, you go out to uh, an airport, you say, I see the plane, do you believe this plane can get you to wherever you're going? I believe it can. Do you trust it, though? Well, I don't know about that. I'm scared of flying, right? When you get on that plane and you put your hands in the life of that pilot, now you're saying, no, I, I trust that it can actually do what it's saying. And this is what salvation is. See, it's not enough to just say, oh, I believe in Jesus. Like, I believe he existed. No, you've got to put your trust in him in order to be saved. And here's what that means. It's not like, well, I'm trusting Jesus and my good works. 
I'm trusting Jesus and I repented of my sins. I'm trust. No, look, if you're going to put your faith in Christ, you've got to put all your faith, all your trust, all your reliance. If I ever make it to heaven, I'll make it to heaven because of Jesus and because I was in Christ, period. That's what salvation is. So you see the pardon of Christ. What is it? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. But we define that as trust. Not just I believe in Jesus, but I place my trust in him. I place my faith in him. I believe in him. Not just that he exists, but my trust is in him. I want you to notice, secondly, not only do we see the pardon of Christ, but we also see the power of Christ. Look at Ephesians 1 and verse 19. Ephesians 1 and verse 19. And what is the exceeding greatness? And what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward? Who believe? And I, I forgot to mention this, so let me go ahead and mention it real quick if you don't mind. But in that verse, in whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom after that ye believe, ye were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. I just want to point out that that verse proves that you get the Holy Spirit the moment you believe. Because the Pentecostals, Charismatics, they'll say, oh no, salvation is a process. They'll say, yeah, first you believe, but then you have to repent of your sins. Then you have to get baptized in water. Then maybe you'll get baptized in the Holy Spirit and speak in tongues and run around and bark and whatever. you know. And that's when you get the Holy Spirit. No, the Bible says when you believe, you receive the Holy Spirit promise. You got it the moment that you uh, got saved. Blue verse 19. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us who believe? So what is the exceeding greatness of his power? According to the working of his mighty power... Notice the emphasis is upon the power, the greatness of his power, his mighty power, verse 20, which he, that's God the Father, that's the context from last week, wrought, the word wrought means he worked in Christ when? When he, God the Father, notice, raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places. So we see the pardon of Christ. How does that come? It comes through belief, through trust in Christ. We see the power of Christ, and what is that? That is proven through the resurrection. Go back to 1 Corinthians, if you would. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We're almost done. We'll be done in five minutes, Lord willing. Five minutes. Uh, Good night. There's something wrong on my phone. All right. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And here's the point, okay? The death of Christ proves the love of God. The death of Christ proves the love of God. You don't need to go any further than John 3.16, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. And whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. The death of Christ proves the love of God. The resurrection of Christ proves the power of God. See, the death of Christ proves the love of God. It proves the fact that God was willing to sacrifice His Son as a propitiation for our sins. He made the payment for our sins that we might be redeemed. And you say, but yeah, but if Christ would have died and He would have stayed dead, then he, that would have meant nothing. He would have just been a human being because that's what all humans do. They die and they stay dead. The, the death proved the love of God. The resurrection proved the power of God. See, the wages of sin is death. Sin required that our sacrifice should die. But nothing said he had to stay dead. And the power of God and the power of Christ is seen through his resurrection. And really, and please understand this, the, 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 the foundation of our faith is the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what you have to believe in order to be saved, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. 
The foundation of our belief is in the resurrection of Christ. Are you there in 1 Corinthians 15? Look at verse 14. 1 Corinthians 15, 14. Notice, here Paul is dealing with some people, debating, the people are debating that, you know, did Christ really rise from the dead? Do people even really rise from the dead? And, 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 and notice what he says. He says, and if Christ be not risen, so he's, he's playing the devil's advocate. He's saying, if Christ be not risen, then is all preaching vain. The word vain means without real significance or value. He says, if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching vain. And your faith is also vain. Your faith is insignificant. It is without value if Christ is not risen. Verse 17. And if Christ be not risen, your faith is vain. Your faith is insignificant. It's without real significance. It's without value. You say, why? Ye are yet in your sins. Look, if Christ did not rise from the dead, you're condemned. I'm condemned. Because salvation comes through the resurrection. Notice verse 18. Then they also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. He said, if Christ, if, if Christ be not risen, and, he's, and Paul's debating with these, this group. Go to 1 Thessalonians if you would. 1 Thessalonians from Ephesians, you got Philippians, Colossians, 1 Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians 4. Because these, there's these Christians, you know, these, these uh, uh, people that want to debate everything. And we got those people around today. They want to debate every doctrine. They want to debate all these things. And they're saying, well, does Christ even need to resurrect from the dead? Is that even needed? And Paul's telling them, look, if Christ be not risen, then we are of all men most miserable. If we have only hope in this life, if there's not a hope in the afterlife, he says, then it's not worth it. Well, Paul's saying, I've been beaten, I've been imprisoned, I've been uh, uh, stabbed in the back, I, I've been hurt, you know, I, I've, been, I've been stoned. Like, it's not worth it if there's no hope of another world, of another life. Notice 1 Thessalonians 4 and verse uh, 14. He says, for if we believe, for if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, you know, on Monday, we're going to hold a funeral service for a baby, and we're all grieving, and especially the family, of course, for that baby. But you know who's not grieving? That baby. He's up in heaven feeling sorry for us. We're sad for him. He's sad for us. He's like, man, you, you guys have the, the bad end of the deal, because if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. Amen. Our belief is founded upon the fact, if Jesus rose from the grave, you say, what, what, what was the need of the power of the resurrection? The power of the resurrection was this, to show that if God could resurrect his son from the dead, he can resurrect anyone from the dead. Amen. And he could resurrect everyone from the dead if they believe in Christ, if they trust in Christ. So we see the pardon of Christ. We see the power of Christ. Let me just real quickly give you the third point. We see the preeminence of Christ. Go back to Ephesians 1. Ephesians chapter 1. Look at verse 20. Which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead. Notice. And set him. Talking about Jesus. At his own right hand, talking about the Father, in heavenly places, far above all principality and power, and might and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come, and hath put all things under his feet, and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. 
I'm out of time. Let me just, I'll just read these verses for you. Actually, go to Ephesians 5 because you're right there. Just flip a few chapters over. Ephesians 5.23 says, For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Colossians 1.18 says this, And he, talking about Jesus, is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things, that in all things, he might have the preeminence. We see the pardon of Christ. We see the power of Christ. We see the preeminence of Christ. And it is his resurrection. It is his resurrection that not only the death proved the love of God, and the resurrection proved the power of God. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for the Bible. Thank you, Lord, for allowing us to be able to just just walk through these chapters and learn from them and understand them. Lord, thank you for the fact that... uh, if we're saved, we have the Holy Spirit, and we can understand these chapters. We can understand what you're teaching us, and we can uh, grasp it. And of course, we are here as pastors and teachers to try to help people and help them go further, faster. But Lord, any of us could open up a Bible with the help of the Holy Spirit and learn it and understand it. Lord, we love you. In the matchless name of Christ, we pray. Amen.